This podcast is produced by BoulderCast Weather. We're a local team of meteorologists that provide weather analysis and prediction, as well as cutting-edge forecast services and graphics specific to Colorado's front range. Find more on our website, bouldercast.com, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at BoulderCast. Opinions expressed in this podcast are reflective of the hosts only and do not represent the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the National Weather Service, L3 Harris Geospatial Solutions, or the United States Air Force. BoulderCast, a boulder take on weather. Welcome to the Bouldercast podcast. This is Andy. We have Ben and Steiner here joining us as well. Hey guys. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Uh, I don't know about <laughs> you guys, but I'm tired of uh, working from home and it being so hot. This week's just been exhausting for me. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can say the same thing. And it's like 115 degrees every single day too. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, still going through that. Yeah, it's been a brutal summer. I guess Phoenix broke the 110-degree record you were talking about last time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've shattered that. We're, we're, on, we're on to a new topic. <laughs> <laughs> the, the question now is, by how much are we going to break it? Yeah. I forgot what city it was in Arizona, but maybe it was Phoenix. They said that the low was like in the upper 90s or something. Uh, Maybe you yeah, won't. probably. I, I don't know, but yeah, it probably was. Uh, upper 90s. <laughs> Came yeah. up your window. Well, well, the meteorologists always say the low is going to be in the upper 80s, maybe 90s, some, something like that. But I promise you, every single morning I wake up, I turn on one of the news stations and the temperature already says like 95 so i'm like uh what was the low really <laughs> yeah yeah maybe you got a little heat island effect going on there yeah well I- we got our first significant thunderstorm at my house at least yesterday and we got probably about a half inch it's more than we got here in boulder like in the last six weeks. <laughs> so yeah. you're doing pretty good. Speaking of droughts. Yeah, the new drought monitor came out yesterday and it has pretty much 100% drought coverage in Colorado. Wow. Uh, last week it was 93%. Now it's 99%. Yeah, that's the last thing Colorado needs. Yeah. Yeah, fortunately, we haven't had any new fires in the last week. <laughs> that's, so, that's encouraging. That's, that's something. I don't know. I didn't really look into what started those fires. Uh, one, one. There's that one that's near Hanging Lake. Did you guys see that one? Um, is that the one in Fort Collins? Or near? No, it's near. It's in Glenwood Canyon. All the way yeah, in western Colorado. Yeah, I think it's like yeah, it's right near Glenwood Springs. So okay. Yeah. Yeah, they were really trying to protect Hanging Lake. Mm-hmm. Because it was like in the forest all around there. Mm-hmm. You know, what a gem hanging lake is. 
You don't want it to get burned out. Mm-hmm. But I think they somehow protected it. So a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, we were, we were on our way to Flagstaff to go for a hike. And um, we get on to Interstate 17, which is the main interstate that connects Phoenix and Flagstaff. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, we look, we, you know, pull up ways to set the GPS to Flagstaff. And uh, it gives us a 90 minute delay in the middle of the interstate. And we come to find out the reason behind it was a, a new wildfire. So they just keep on popping everywhere. Yeah, there's a lot of fires. I, I'm surprised it took this long into the season to get as many to get the fires going. Oh, California yeah, I know. is really in trouble right now. Yeah, there's like a, they're the worst. There's a pretty um, incredibly looking satellite image of uh, of the fires coming out of California and that and all that smoke just spreading off to the east. Yeah, and, I think I saw something like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure there's tons of them now, but yeah, it's just it's really sad to see. Yeah, we knew it was coming with the way this summer's been. It looks like Colorado has three Type One fires currently, which is basically the fires that require national assistance. Okay, because they're big enough. California has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Wow! And no, and no other states have any of type one incidents. I don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't look like there's any relief for the drought in sight. That's I guess unfortunate. We can hope, yeah, I guess we can hope the thunderstorms stop, so there's not as much lightning. I don't know. Once we get into October and the cooler months, this, you know, just the relative humidity will be higher. Mm-hmm. So it won't be as bad. Yeah. Ooh, like the exact opposite out here. We're like, get like three or four inches of rain a month. <laughs> <laughs> and we were worried about, you know, too much rain, actually. <laughs> 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 if you look at the drought monitor for the state, it's like all white. <laughs> uh-huh. There is That's no how Colorado used to be. Yeah, I know my sister in Korea, they've been having a lot of flooding. Uh, for the listeners, my, my sister lives in... Somewhere in Seoul, South Korea, but they've been having a lot of flooding this summer from the monsoon there. They had something like 50 straight days with rain hmm. and over a meter of rain in the monsoon season. So I don't know. I guess that's like 40 inches. So it's been it's been raining somewhere, but not here. Everywhere but there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking at the, the uh, Tucson dew point tracker. We look at for the monsoon, and there was only about seven days where Tucson was had enough moisture to be in the months above the monsoon threshold back in late July. Since then, it's been completely dry. Oh, interesting. Uh, until the last two days, <laughs> then it, it spiked way up. Yeah, I mean, we've had this, we've had this high pressure kind of. Uh, you know, funneling in moisture and, and now that, now that we have some moisture, the moisture just is continuing to just spin around the high 
which which is nice. It actually um, kept our high temperatures below 110 for once today. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, woke up this morning and there was overcast skies and I think I got to work and it was still <laughs> only 90 degrees, which is unheard of. Apparently, Phoenix's low temperature this morning was 79, which is which the I think the last time they had 79 degrees was probably back in June whenever the conditions were still pretty dry at night. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, good times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all feeling the effects of the ridge. It never goes away. It Except never Andy. goes away. Yeah, <laughs> and Andy gets the trough, and we get the ridge. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, we just have been in that pattern where, like, there's a little bit of a trough in the east, and it brings down a front, which stalls right over central North Carolina. Uh, we got mm -hmm. plenty of moisture, plenty of moisture, so it just kind of like eventually washes out, but it just brings in several days of scattered showers and storms. And dream. Then the trough moves out, and then another one moves in. <laughs> so it'll be nice to see when the actual front goes actually actually plows through, you know, in mm -hmm. September, I guess. Yeah. No, we haven't had a cold front in Boulder in I don't know how long. I feel like in past years, we at least had a couple cold fronts in Colorado, but just hasn't happened this year. Yeah, I was looking back. Though most summers, there's, you know, two to four, you know, major cold fronts where you get, like, some days are just total washouts, low clouds. Maybe you get an inch of rain. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, but, yeah, nothing pretty much this year. Right. Since the, we had a pretty, uh, a decent cold front in the middle of june was about the last thing we had but you can always count on some days in the 60s and you know low 70s in the summer but not this year right so yeah this pattern's been crazy i don't know it doesn't seem like it's ever gonna break well it has to eventually right <laughs> <laughs> presumably i mean event i mean the seasons do change on this planet <laughs> yeah We've been in Colorado, at least we've been in the kind of the highest, been further west across Utah, Arizona, Nevada most of the time. So we've been getting northwest flow. And I was optimistic this week that that would mean, you know, a little bit cooler conditions. Mm -hmm. But of course not. It wasn't. <laughs> Denver. <laughs> Denver had their first 100 degree day of the week on, oh. or sorry, of the year on Tuesday. So somehow, even though there was northwest flow, Denver got to 100 degrees. Impressive. Uh, and Monday was 98, and Sunday was 96, and Wednesday was 95. So even with northwest flow, there's you know nothing stopping record highs. So just yeah. imagine had that shifted to southwest flow at the same time. I was talking with one of our friends, Evan, about that. Uh -huh. And he was 
we were wondering how hot it would get if there was southwest flow in this pattern, given the ridge instead of northwest. Maybe 105? I don't know. Even hotter? Ooh. That nice makes southwest sense. Downslope. As long yeah. as it doesn't have a bunch of moisture in it, it would have been mm. pretty crazy. Yeah, like under the ridge, it's like, you know, 5,000 feet off the surface. At least in the mountains, mm -hmm. it's like 20 degrees Celsius. So that's pretty warm. Yeah. That's, that's going to prevent any kind of storm development, too. Yep, today there was about no clouds, but plenty of smoke. <laughs> I think we had some of the worst air quality today. I was feeling it after uh, doing some outside exercise. Can you yeah. see the? Can you see the mountains? Uh, I could from uh, where I was at in Broomfield. I could just see like the faintest hint of the flat irons, like the top of them. Wow! But couldn't definitely couldn't see any uh, bigger mountains. Hmm. But pretty much, you can't see anything. I don't know what the air quality is. I'm going to check that. Yeah, it's too bad. Probably makes it difficult to work out outside. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that bad, actually. Hmm. Oh, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, you can still see it on your... 120 right now. You can still see it on your webcam. It looks over. You can't really even see the, the mountains. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at that now. <laughs> even from a couple miles away, the mountains are almost gone. In Boulder. Yeah, it's been thick. What do you guys think about all the tropical activity heating up? What do you think, Matt? Eh, well, I I think the the projections have been pretty accurate so far. I don't know how accurate in terms of uh major hurricanes, but uh in terms mm -hmm. of the number, it seems it seems just about on schedule, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's that time of year. We should be in late August, early September. This should be like Category 3 hurricanes forming every, every week. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the Gulf of Mexico seems wide open. I'm, I'm actually a little surprised that the... the Tropical cyclones aren't intensifying even more, but perhaps mm -hmm. with this, with the current setup that we're seeing, they're just taking energy away from each other. The two tropical cyclones that are currently out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, because right now, well, I don't know where they are right now, but they're projected to both go into the Gulf of Mexico, which we haven't really seen in a long time. I, don't know the last time we saw two tropical cyclones in the Gulf of Mexico at the same time. Yeah, it looks like the one gets tropical storm Laura gets there on Monday, and the other one will get there. Yeah, Sunday or Monday. Yeah, they're going to be pretty close to each other. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, it'll it'll be pretty interesting to see how the two storms affect one another mm. if they have any effect. It's, yes. inter it's interesting with uh, Laura. 
um, you have a clustering of the guidance that has it kind of like, you know, maybe a Cat 1 hurricane. And then you have the HWARF, which is like the high resolution model that has it becoming like a high Cat 4 to maybe a Cat 5. Um, so that's going to be an interesting intensity forecast. Yeah, I didn't. What do you think the National Hurricane Center is going with now? More conservative? They don't even have a hurricane until it gets into the Gulf. I haven't seen their recent update. It looks like they have it going all the way across Hispaniola, all the way across Cuba. That's not going to be good. Long ways. Yeah, you would. There's some pretty big mountains in Hispaniola. Yeah, you would think with all the energy, like they were talking about the accumulated cyclone energy. It's like ACE, I think it's called, mm-hmm. um, that accumulates like all the, I guess it's all the factors that could lead to a, you know, a strong hurricane season and active, which it has been active. <clears throat> But so you would you would think that Laura would just would just become a really strong hurricane with all the warm ocean waters, but um, I guess there's some wind shear out there, and I think there might have been some dry air during its formation that maybe has slowed a little bit. But then also, Ben, you mentioned some of the the mountains as well, and that could be playing a role too. Yeah. I don't know. Looks like the Gulf of Mexico is a hot spot, so Sunday and Monday, see what's going on. Yeah, for Once certain. it gets away from the shear into those warm waters. My, my sister texted me this morning and she said, uh, a friend of mine is going to Destin, Florida next week. Uh, what's happening with the hurricane? Oh, no. <laughs> and so I was like, well, the official hurricane official forecast from the Hurricane Center has it anywhere from Gulf Shores to Destin, so it's going to be interesting. <laughs> In other words, you may for once be able to surf the waters of the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I no? would not recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got true ocean-like waves. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. I remember when I was going to the University of South Alabama and some friends and I, we went to the beach a couple days before Hurricane Katrina made landfall, and those waters were incredible. Granted, it took a storm like Katrina for the waves mm-hmm. to be, you know, five, five feet high, but on that day they were, and it was pretty crazy to see. I bet. So, yeah, most of the time, the waters in the Gulf are pretty benign. Yeah, it's like a river. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> Lazy river. <laughs> yeah. Oh, where, where'd that wave come from? Oh, it was a jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a real wave. <laughs> I think another interesting thing to consider with the two storms moving 
over what could be a very similar area is the fact that after a hurricane goes through, the waters that are left behind are much cooler than before the hurricane moved through, just due to all the upwelling. Yep, exactly. You know, the, the deep mixing of the ocean, you know, the, the typical temperature profile in the ocean is the surface is really warm, and then it gets a lot cooler quickly as you go down. But when a big hurricane's moving through, there's a lot of, you know, mixing, and that cool water from beneath the surface mixes up. So, I don't know. If the second storm moves over the cool pool, cold pool from the first storm, it'd be a inhibiting factor. Oh, yeah. Kind of makes you wonder. Do you think that's why tropical cyclones seem to come in waves? Like you have, see, seems like you know it's it's never content a continuous um, stream of storms. It j- they just seem to come in like bunches. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure seems like that. Yeah, you think they'd just be continually forming and moving along the same tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Yeah, I don't know though. I guess, I guess part of that also could be the Madden Julian oscillation MJO. That's a good point. I'm just guessing. I have no idea. But it could, it could very well though. What's the but cycle yeah. on that? Like twenty-one days. For the whole way around the planet? 30 to 60, I think. Yeah. At least in the Indian Ocean. I don't know about the global part. Yeah, I'd have to go back and check. Yeah, not sure about that either. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. It looks like the Pacific is quieting down. Well, the Eastern Pacific, after we had a Category 4 storm earlier this week. Genevieve. Yes, Genevieve. I don't know if it ever actually made landfall or not. I know it was really close. I was looking at some of the Mexican radar. They have something similar to the like the National Weather Service or whatever. But you have to know all this, the keywords in Spanish <laughs> to look it all up. Oh, okay. But yeah. I found it, and uh, yeah, there was, I don't know, the eye was still offshore, but it wasn't, I don't know if it ever made it in. I guess not, because it's still a named post-tropical cyclone right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were looking into that this morning and wondering if it was going to um, bring any moisture into Southern California and into into my neck of the woods in Phoenix, and uh Still a little bit of uncertainty with that. Oh, yeah. I was looking at that, too. What's the latest? You think it's, you know, maybe 50-50 chance? Yeah, it, it's it's tough to really tell. I mean, it, re- it really just depends on how much the high pushes eastward. Because cause mm-hmm. right now, where the high is positioned, I don't think, the, I don't think any moisture would, would get in into Arizona. Maybe California, but... If if that high pushes even just a little further to the east, then that could be enough. Yeah. Well, it is forecast to move east, just barely though. Yeah. <laughs> we even. It's not really. Yeah, it's not really changing much here in Arizona, except 
this weekend we do have like you know a decent chance for moderate thunderstorms today tomorrow and sunday so that's that's promising for our precipitation totals i guess i move far enough east to help you guys out a little bit yeah that'd be ideal get that low level moisture in that's good yeah i was hoping some of that moisture would make it into colorado eventually but that high pressure just does not want to cooperate it does much not much that can be done absolutely i don't know i don't see every time i look as far as you go in the models you got high pressure so <laughs> i don't know what's gonna happen yeah it's usually like i guess what it usually is is like a just a slight change in the jet stream and then it's kind of becomes like a domino effect maybe that just kind of like you know maybe it'll bring mm-hmm. in like a front like you say and then uh maybe some precip and then i guess some kind of a repeat pattern kind of amplifies the development of a trough potentially but i don't know if i guess if la nina forms then that could prolong it and uh potentially lead into the the fall and winter yeah i think you're right we just need some trough to just get enough oomph to knock down the ridge and then that'll be enough to change the pattern heading into fall well it's looking like there might be a trough in the ensembles from the euro and the gfs right around the end of the month okay that ridge finally retreats southward. Oh, but, you know, it's still 10 days out. Sure. Yeah. I'll I'll take it. It looks pretty <laughs> looks pretty solid again sticking around until at least the end of next week. I would trust the ensemble 7 days out. On ridge placement. Yeah. For at least for that. So yeah, no real, st- I don't know. This could be like a crazy, you know, a top 10 or a top five record summer for temperatures in many cities, I imagine. Wow. Certainly a record August in July. Yeah, it sounds like it's pretty widespread now. Ben, that yeah, first first or second year we were in Colorado, there was like, what, 90s into October? I believe. Are you talking about 2012? 2012. Was it 2012? Okay. Yeah. That was hot year and dry. That was, that was the year when Colorado got like no snowfall, right? Could be. Or very little snowfall. Yeah, definitely. There was a definitely below average statewide. Yeah. Led to a crazy fire season. Fortunately, that was the year before I moved out there. Ah, you missed out. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We never dug out of that 2012 drought until the Boulder flood, the Colorado <laughs> flood, a whole year later. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we more than made up for that with the Boulder <laughs> flood. Yeah. Yep, like 20 and a half inches or 19 inches. So that, so basically, the our average annual rainfall in Boulder, Colorado, in a week. <laughs> 
Yeah, we we'll have to do a podcast about Boulder flood stories. Yeah, yeah, looking back at it, it's pretty insane to think about. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. No, I just. But I just, what were we getting at? I just remember that. Well, we used to play the NHL on Xbox. I remember, but uh, usually before we would play Xbox, you would write in the high temperatures, I guess, in an Excel sheet. Uh, at least I think it was an Excel sheet. Okay. And yeah, you'd be tracking them, and yeah, I remember it being like a super hot. But I guess it was 2012. But I thought it might have been 2010, 2011 was pretty warm too. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> disagree. <laughs> so I wonder if that'll be the same this year. Yeah, we we have um, Denver is up to about 60 or so, 90 degree days. And that is the 20, incredible. 2012 is the record. And they had, uh, I think, 78. Oh, so we have, to get, we have to get 18 more to beat 2012, I think. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, which means you have to get some in September. And that's when, the, that's, that's when things start to change in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yep. It's going to be difficult. No, it looks like we need 73, and we have about 62 or so. So well, we're guaranteed like six more next next six days, so we'll be getting close. Well, it's difficult, but not impossible. As we know, Colorado's weather tends to be kind of schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What do they always say? If you don't like the weather, just wait a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah, just wait like... another 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and it might change on you. Yeah, I mean, we just had our, our snowiest season on record. And now we're potentially having the hottest summer on record. In some respects. So, I don't know. Not good. Which is really interesting because back in... Back in the winter and spring, we were still kind of in a weak El Nino regime, and now, mm-hmm. and now we're talking about the La Nina regime, and then so so that so I just wonder if that has to do with, you know, the big picture of what we've been what we've been seeing since the beginning of the year. Yeah, I just don't know. I mean. I mean, it, it, I suppose it would make sense, but that, but now the, the question becomes, if if we are going to continue to see a strengthening La Nina, how is that going to affect things as we move into the fall and winter seasons, particularly in the in the Rockies? Because if I if I remember correctly, I think the last La Nina we saw, it was pretty dry in the winter time, so I'm. Hoping that's not the case this time. Yeah. Nobody wants to see that. Nope. Definitely not. The last thing we need after how dry it's been this summer. It would probably be it probably would be pretty funny if say like North Carolina got like a two foot snowstorm and Boulder got like <laughs> less than that or something like that. That'd be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, you can hope. You can hope, Andy. <laughs> the snow follows Andy. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see this winter. Your first winter in North Carolina. Maybe you'll have a record year. <laughs> they always, I, I, they always used to say that I would keep the snow away, but who knows? Yeah, <laughs> really. Uh, La Nina is really taking shape. It looks like. I don't know what you guys think. There's a lot of cool anomalies in the Pacific. Well, it's just interesting that it was such an abrupt change. Like we were, we were, you know, looking to still be in El Nino as we got into April and even May, and now suddenly, as we hit yeah. the summer, it just switched. Yeah, I think the probabilities for La Nina this quickly were very, very low, less than ten percent. And yeah, you know, here like we are. Like you said, right right around mid-April, the ocean just started to cool off rapidly. From mid-April to mid-May, it took a nosedive to negative anomalies. And now here we are. Here we are, talking about El Nino. Who would have guessed? Yep. I mean, and so it's, it's a cyclical pattern. So in theory, it would have switched eventually. You just didn't expect it to switch in this way. Yeah. Yeah, you get yeah, you get maybe um two or three La Ninas per decade. And the last one we had was in 2017-2018 winter. So it's been 3 years. Yep. Yeah, I see it now. We're about to. We're about to. <laughs> <laughs> right on schedule. Yeah. How dry was it that year? Um, I don't know. Have have to look back. Yeah, you can see in the yeah, yeah, you can see in the outgoing long wave radiation, which is kind of how you can measure where the thunderstorms and convection are, and they're all kind of the positive. Oh wait, so the positive anomalies are in the West Pacific right now. Uh, what does that mean again? That means mm-hmm. that there's more out there. Where the warm water is. Lots okay. of storms. Okay, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, it's. So I just checked on that. At last La Nina winter. That was actually the winter that Denver potentially broke their lowest snowfall record. They only had 25 inches. Ouch. And Boulder had 60. Which is also, you know, two people below normal or so. But if I recall, I think we did have a lot of, like, freezing drizzle and freezing drizzle events that year. It's kind of a byproduct of La Nina. And the Arctic outbreaks. That sounds right. That rings a bell. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, remember that? That was the year we had to give that talk at CU that we had no winter storm to talk about, except for that one like jet storm. <laughs> there was like a ban- abandoned snowfall event from the jet. Which, it was an interesting case too. Um, 
Yeah, yeah but it, there wasn't much to talk great. about. Yeah, it was a nine-inch storm. We had to talk for an hour about. <laughs> <laughs> but it was pretty remarkable because that was during an there was this crazy jet during an Arctic outbreak, and I remember it snowed, you know, two or three to two or three inches per hour in Boulder for a couple hours, even though it was in the single digits. You remember that one? I remember it. Yeah, I was fall. I was asleep, I believe, when that when that happened. Yeah, it looks like it. Well, it looks like it started at seven p.m. until nine p.m. Oh, okay. So hopefully you were awake, <laughs> but I don't know. What year was that? Uh, twenty eighteen, February. Okay. I have such a terrible memory with going back to storms. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I remember that storm. It was great. It. Just how hard it was snowing. Okay. Do you guys want to skip the lightning round due to our timing, or do you have a quick five-minute topic that we could possibly cover anything? Up to you. Uh, We can push it to the next one, or we can... uh... Well, if if we can talk about it in less than ten minutes, sure. That might be long enough. Let's do it. (laughs) <laughs> the one idea we had was talking about parcel theory and uh, instability, which is oh, kind of, which is what forecasters look at to basically deduce the probability of there being thunderstorms on a particular day, primarily, well, throughout the year, but primarily during the summertime, where you have much more solar heating than you do in the wintertime just because of the sun's angle being much uh, higher in the sky compared to the wintertime. That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) So parcel theory is all about convection. Yeah, and let's see how to start. Uh, uh, what's a parcel? Really... <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, we kind of describe a parcel as being sort of an isolated pocket of air. That ideally, it's so you get the sun, which heats the ground, and the ground heats kind of the near surface uh, atmosphere through conduction, which is a process that we call that transferring some kind of heat or energy from one body to another. Um, Same way where you would, if you had like a a stove and you have kind of a pot and, you know, if you have gas or electric, that particular surface is going to eventually heat the, uh, heat your skillet through conduction. But once you, (laughs) once you heat the air, um, the air is not a super good conductor of heat, but you eventually get these rising plumes that we call them, which are sort of like the warm air is rising as uh, it becomes uh, basically warmer than the surrounding air. Uh, warm air tends to rise and cold air tends to sink. And so you get this vertical motion, which we call convection. Um, 
So those are the two kind of mechanisms, conduction and convection. Um, and as forecasters, when we say like there's a lot of convection going on, which in a way we talk about there being like thunderstorms occurring around a certain region. Um, thunderstorms are directly related to that uh, vertical motion and convection. And yeah, uh, basically, so we try to treat that rising motion uh, through a variety of um, measurements and uh, understanding of how thunderstorms form through various uh, research over the years, like modeling and um, to try and basically for a certain weather pattern, deduce, you know, whether that parcel is going to eventually reach a certain level to eventually produce rain uh, and unsettled weather. And we, <laughs> I don't know if I should bring this term up, but basically we treat the parcel as being sort of isolated from the the environment and where it's not really exchanging the heat contained within that cloud parcel with the rest of the environment that it's in. And that's what we would call an adiabatic uh, process, um, which in reality doesn't necessarily occur because there is mixing going on between that parcel of air and the atmosphere around it. But it tends to be a good approximation for because we can because we can treat it as isolated from the environment in some sense we can try and uh based on what we know about a parcel of air that's rising it will rising air will uh cool as it as it uh ascends into the atmosphere the same way as if you hike up a mountain you're gonna notice that the temperature drops with with height um, same thing with the parcel of air it's going to cool as it uh, as it rises um, and eventually it will reach a certain level where it becomes saturated which is essentially when you see the cloud or the basically the condensation uh, of the gas phase to the uh, liquid phase and let's see would we call that level where it can become saturated? The lifting, the, the level LCL. where you get the LCL, the lifted condensation level. And or cloud base. <laughs> or cloud base. Roughly. When you become saturated, then you actually, if the parcel continues to rise further from where it is, once it's saturated, it cools at a much slower rate because the condensation tends to um, produce more heat into that parcel. Um, in a way, we kind of term that as hidden heat, um, but essentially just need to know that that leads to a, you know, a cooler, uh, a slower uh, decrease in temperature as it further rises after condensation. Yeah, uh, I like I like to think of that. I think it's hard to conceptualize for most people condensation releasing heat, but I like to think of it as just the opposite of evaporation, which you know is takes in heat or does cooling, like sweating. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so you sweat to so you can cool yourself off. So condensation is the opposite. You you put a bunch of water, you can condensate a bunch of water onto yourself. You would heat up, I guess. If you could somehow do that. <laughs> no, that's that's great. Um, same thing too. Mm -hmm. Same thing too. When you're taking a shower and you dry off, and you're like, "Wow, I'm chilly," you know, because all that wetness from being in the shower is evaporating off your skin, and that's taking heat away from your from your body, and so you feel much cooler through the evaporation. That's why when I go into a hot tub, I instantly get my hair wet. And then after that, I just let it, you know, I just let it cool when, when the water evaporates off the hair. It's a great feeling. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good real life example. Explain <laughs> the science. I like it. Yeah. People always wonder why I do that. That's why. <laughs> And so then what what do we mean by instability? So once a basically you can compare the temperature of the atmosphere and the temperature of the parcel, um, both at different layers of the atmosphere, say like five thousand feet up, ten thousand feet, fifteen thousand feet, you know, all the way up to the top of the troposphere, the tropopause. And if your cloud is warmer than the surrounding atmosphere then it's it's going to continue to rise vertically in the atmosphere um, and that will continue to give you that vertical uh, lift and which we call convection and the more energy that you have which is basically the difference in that difference in those two temperatures the environment and the cloud the higher the instability the this the more fuel you have to uh, produce thunderstorm development yeah so just taking a step to the side and thinking about all of the factors that would control that instability so it's going to be basically how cold or warm the background atmosphere is so if you have really cold air above the surface and your warm parcel goes up, it's going to keep going. But if you have really warm air uh, in the middle atmosphere, which is what we've had recently with this ridge in place, anytime the, no matter how warm the parcel is when it goes up, it's still probably not going to be as warm as the air that's already up there. So you're not going to get any instability and no clouds, no rain. What are some other factors that control that instability? I would say if there's sort of a boundary over the area, which we would call like like a cold front or warm front that can help lift a cloud parcel above a certain layer that is essentially like what Ben said, like warmer than that actual cloud parcel. If you can lift it above that level, then you can still get some thunderstorm development. But if you have basically a benign conditions like we have now, like high pressure, you're not going to be able to lift those parcels high enough. That's a good one. 
Hope so. <laughs> I think I think another good one would be if you have like a even like a a mid level shortwave trough of some sort that can that can that can cause your your parcel to be to be forced to rise a little faster because any time you get one of the, some of those short waves that's that provides enough instability at least in a particular layer of the atmosphere and as long as you have thermal heating where your parcel is warmer than the surrounding atmosphere at the surface and at least in the in the low levels if you can get your parcel to reach that unstable layer a lot aloft then you can get convection that way too so so the shortwave troughs i've really learned are 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 pretty significant to getting um thunderstorms down here in the desert yeah i agree that and uh and also mountains of course mount mountains force air parcels to ascend regardless of stability at least at first mm-hmm. that's a great point yeah like we could probably spend a whole podcast on it but you get you get breezes associated with the terrain in the west they call it the mountain breeze and the valley breeze and i won't talk about all of it but you'll in the daytime you get the valley breeze which essentially basically vertical motion up along the ridge tops and that can converge you know is at the top of the peak and that can lead to what matt said is the clouds and some thunderstorms which tends to be the monsoon but right now it's just kind of dead yeah i think another important aspect is the because remember we're talking about parcel theory everything once the parcel is determined by what's going on at the surface and that rises up doesn't mix so another important factor is how much moisture is present at the surface because that's the amount of moisture that is going to be carried with your parcel all the way into the upper atmosphere. So the more moisture you have, the more condensation you can get, and that will lead to more heating and even more warming for the parcel to continue rising. So yeah. that's a big factor for thunderstorms development in uh, the front range is that you know you need a certain amount of moisture just to be able to get your parcel to uh, warm enough to make it into the middle and upper atmosphere to make thunderstorms. Yeah. That's an excellent point, yeah. Um, yeah, that also okay. lowers your level of where the level of condensation occurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the so the faster, the faster you can hit that condensation level, the lower you can hit it, is, you know, you're going to get that added condensational warming. Yep. Oof. Hopefully we didn't lose our listeners there. <laughs> yeah, that was a tough topic, but we got it. <laughs> I would say covered okay. I mean... I use we use partial theory all the time doing our forecasts. You know, it's kind of a it's an approximation, but it ends up working pretty well in most circumstances, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the whole skew T is based off of that. So that's probably why they drill it in your head like four years in undergrad. <laughs> it's because it's so important. Yeah. OK, well, should we uh, wrap things up? For one of our shorter podcasts, episode 30. Only if Matt says so. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I th- I think you guys uh I think you guys really did a a good job uh covering parcel theory and really just, you know, emphasizing the importance of you know, why why we cover it at such the level of detail that we do and as Andy said, we can we can always go further into it, but Obviously, you know, that might require a few podcasts to <laughs> and just uh just to break down each and every single topic on parcel theory and how and how it's applied. So so yeah, I, I think I think this was a good this was a good uh topic. It was yeah. Did a good job of really covering the basics and uh I yeah. Could get a lot more complex. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You guys so, remember uh, the comp, the comps question? Wasn't oh it just strictly? There was a there was a whole question on the in the PhD program on the test. One of the final tests is just it was all partial theory, I think. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember what the question was exactly, <laughs> but I know you had a use QT, you had a air going up and down, and I don't remember. Hey, it fully. hey, hey! Don't say anything. He's probably listening. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is. I don't remember that. No, I got it right though, but I don't remember what it was. I think the hard part was like trying to keep your mind in the right mindset because each successive question kind of depended on the previous answer in some cases. So mm-hmm. if you got that one wrong, then your next your next answer could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was like a fifteen part question. It was all <laughs> depending on the last answer. That's all I have. Yeah, I think we're good. Thanks, guys. Yep. It's good chat yeah. with you guys as always. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do it again next time. We shall. Yeah. That's good. Do do we have any special guests for our next podcast? Uh, there's a couple in the works. But nothing is fully scheduled yet. So Stay tuned for more information. All right. Copy that. All right. Andy out. Steiner signing out. This has been. Catch you next time.